Welcome to the Preserving Family Podcast. The purpose of this podcast is to equip you to gain insight, information, and inspiration to help you protect, teach, and guide your family during these turbulent times. Our goal is to provide tools and resources to help you strengthen and preserve your own marriages and families. Now here are your hosts, Dr. Mark and Janie Ogletree. Welcome everyone. We're so glad you're here with us today. And I'm really glad to be here today with my guest, Braden McFadden. Braden, we've known each other for how long? Long time. <laughs> really long time. I mean, I literally remember your dad carrying you as a as a three year old to the to the pool, uh, you know, in our in our suburb of McKinney, Texas, you know, when you were three or four years old, but uh, we've been together for a while, and it was fun for me because you were, when I was the bishop of that ward years ago, you were one of our great young men, and what I'm curious, do you remember anything from that time period? I remember, man, we did. You always remember what people remember, you always want to know, what do you remember? And because uh, sometimes you're like, oh, they didn't remember much, or oh, they remember that. <laughs> yeah, no, I, uh, I remember a lot. It's, yeah. I think that was the last that was the last time we were in the stake center as a ward before we moved to a different building. Oh yeah. So that was the last time I was consistently going to church at the stake center. Yeah. Um I remember that and I remember we were football. We'd go to McKinney High Games. Yeah. We would I remember we'd always be talking about BYU football on Sundays. <laughs> um That was that was opening exercises for priesthood ex- meeting, right? Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, it was a lot of fun. And I remember we did that, uh, what was that one activity we did for Mutual where we drove around on the, we got a trailer with the hay bales. Oh, yeah? And we just drove around singing. A little Christmas carol. Yeah. Christmas carols, I remember that. And exactly. My memory is uh, the greatest food fight in the history of the church on a highway. <laughs> Do you remember that? I remember we got pulled over. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, with a, with like five cars heading to Philmont and uh, th- just throwing food at each other's cars out out the window. That you have to keep it light, right? When you're heading to New Mexico. <laughs> exactly. No, that was fun. And uh, our temple walk that you and I have talked about before uh, to the Dallas Temple from where we lived was really cool. And anyway, it was just my favorite thing, Braden, is that you know here it is. That was like in 2006 to 2010, uh, and and here we are. How old are you now? Twenty six. Yeah, and that we still have these relationships with our with our youth. In fact, there was about a year ago where I was had visited with three or four young men from our ward back in those days, and they were now in their mid twenties, late twenties, and and it was just cool that we still have those relationships from when you guys were were you with us <laughs> when you guys were kids, but were you with us on the trip to Galveston? The fishing oh, trip, the in the snowstorm, the sandstorm, the sandstorm, or yes, yeah, <laughs> sandstorm, yeah. Oh, where, we, where we that. all slept outside in, on the beach and, yeah. and just got pelted and covered. Oh, we all goodness. woke up and had like a pound of sand on our faces. I, and... I was finding sand for like a week yeah. after that, just in my clothes, in my hair. Right. That was, and we all. I remember we all went fishing and nobody fished because everybody was just so tired. <laughs> we were so tired and we all had sand in our pants and everything else. Well, Braden, it was also cool to have you in a couple of my classes at BYU, and uh, that's been fun. And uh, now, you know, you've approached me recently and said, hey, I'd really like to write this book on anxiety, which I'm excited about. That's going to be cool. Yeah, it's uh, it was something 
that it was one of those thoughts I couldn't get rid of. Um, and I just, I was like, you know, I had this thought about anxiety and how I wanted to approach it. And I was like, you know, Bishop would be great to talk to about this. <laughs> and I was like, oh, he's probably super busy. He probably has other things. But I remember it just kept, it kept bothering me. And I kept thinking about it. I kept thinking about it. I was like, oh, maybe the Spirit's trying to tell me something. I think that's one of the ways that we know the Spirit's working with us, right? Is when some some thoughts like that, some of those impressions just don't go away. You just can't get rid of them, right? And so that's kind of how you know that okay, let's act on this. And so we're gonna we're gonna tackle this topic, and I'm excited about it once again. So, well, Braid, why don't you share with those that are listening today just a little bit about your anxiety journey? I know we've both have had a little anxiety journey in our lives, but let's hear from you uh, today on kind of how that started and. And uh, where it's taken you, and I'm sure there will be a lot of people that will be able to connect with what you're about to say. Yeah. So my anxiety journey, it didn't really affect me until I went on my mission. Yeah. So. Or in other words, Braden, would you say that you can look back now, because I can, and say, oh, I think I had some anxiety symptoms when I was even in my teen years or younger, but I just didn't recognize that's what it was right oh yeah like hindsight i'm like okay maybe the fact that i checked my grades three times a day <laughs> if i failed a test i thought the world was over right maybe those were some of the uh indicators <laughs> but uh so yeah. some perfectionism for sure right oh big time big yeah. time um but yeah it it didn't really though that was kind of the only way it manifested growing up right um so it never really affected me in a manner that made me think oh something's different something i might have something that might become a problem later on so it wasn't incapacitating right in any exactly, way exactly yeah. yeah yeah so it wasn't incapacitating in any way but yeah it didn't really hit me until until i left on my mission so i did my freshman year at byu everything was kind of going according to the plan right um was blessed to play football at byu uh, was playing football was going to byu was living the dream Got my mission call with all of my other freshman year buddies. Right. Um, and it like was, you say, the complete pattern that so exactly. many so many experience, right, at BYU. Exactly. So it was going exactly according to my, you know, 30-year plan. Right. Um, <laughs> and then and then I went on my mission and then went to Alaska. Yeah. And it was – I was fine in the MTC. I uh, had a great experience there. But when I got to Alaska is when – kind of the anxiety manifested massively mm. yeah and it i didn't know what i didn't know it was anxiety because i had never been taught about anxiety i i mean sure. oh i'm anxious that was kind of my extent right of um familiarity with anxiety and so i just i remember we were doing the you know the little um onboarding where they do that at the local church and like okay this is what you can do this is what you can't do uh and i remember just this yeah, it was like this dark cloud just yeah. settled over my brain, mm-hmm. and it just dampened everything. Right. And I was like, "What just happened? Like right. this is weird." Right. Um. And then, and then that's when the thoughts started. That's when the panic started, and I was like, "Oh, this is weird. I've never really had this at this level before." Right. Um. But I was like, "You know what? It's probably just me adjusting to being a missionary." They all they all talk about how hard the adjustment is. So I didn't do anything about it. I just kind of was like, okay, you know, just bear it. You got this. Right. You, you can do hard things, you know, work hard. And it just, 
it just got worse and worse and worse to the point where rather quickly I was having about three or four major panic attacks a day. Wow. So it was, it got very debilitating and my mind was just always going, just always, always. It felt like I had uh, three Bradens in my head. Yeah. You know, the one that's just freaking out constantly. <laughs> the other one who's trying to calm that one down. Right. Like, hey, you know, we're fine. We're fine. You're doing this. You're doing this. And then the third one was the one who had to, like, interact with everybody. Right. And it was exhausting. I just, sure. I remember I didn't sleep a lot. I didn't eat a ton. Yeah. I, I wasn't. And it's just, I, the whole time I was like, this is just me adjusting. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I'm becoming a missionary. Work harder. My parents always taught me work hard, work hard. Right. Your problems go away if you work hard. Right. And, but in this case, the harder I worked, the worse it got. Mm. So it got to the point where I was just kind of, I was a shell of myself. Like I was in straight up survival mode. Right. Like base, base level. Um, and I was like, this, this, something, this isn't right. Like. Something it, is 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 whacked, right? Exactly, exactly. I was like, you know, maybe I shouldn't be having three to four massive panic attacks, barely sleeping, right? Barely eating, and yeah, it, it, this went on for about six weeks. Yeah, and finally, I said something to my parents, and they they knew I had been having a rough time, but yeah. they didn't know how bad it was. Sure. So then I. They talked to my mission president. Um, my mission president was like, oh, yeah, maybe, you know, we can get you on some some medication and keep you out here. I'm going to send you to the um, church services mm-hmm. uh, guy. He's going to evaluate you. And then we'll get that we'll get that evaluation back and see where we can go. And I went and did that evaluation. And I was like, I blew that exam out of the water. <laughs> I mean, he was looking at it and his eyes kept getting bigger and bigger. And I was just, I remember sitting there going, Braden, that is not a test that you wanted to blow out of the water, man. Yeah. And I could tell it was bad because he talked to my mission president. And then the next conversation I had with my mission president was, let's get you home. We need to get you home. Right. So came home. And then it was. It was no, no, Braden. I'm going to ask you a question before you say that because I'm yeah, curious. But yeah, yeah. when you found out you were going home, were you devastated or were you almost relieved? Or I mean, my guess is it's going to be some mixed emotions there. But what were you? What were you feeling? I, I was relieved on one end because yeah. I was like, oh, the nightmare is finally ending. Right. But on the other end, I was devastated because this is something I'd been looking forward to my whole life. Right. And I, I was, I'm the oldest of five. And so I was like, I'm trying to set the standard for my siblings. Sure. And be an example for them. And in that capacity, I failed because mm. I'm coming home after only six weeks. Yeah. And it was a little bit of shell shock because sure. I never thought this would be a possibility. Right. I never thought I'd be coming home early from my mission. It, it, it never even entered my realm of consideration. Right. So it was just a mix of that. And and I'll I'll uh, I'll add in here just a minute for those who are listening who don't know Braden, but you know here's Braden, basically the all American kid from the suburbs of Dallas who <laughs> looks like he could be on the cover of a GQ magazine, who has muscles bulging from every direction, and uh, you know a great uh, high school football player in Texas, you know uh, having a chance now to play at, at BYU, and and so I think Braden for not only you but for a lot of people, I'm sure, were just 
wait, Braden McFadden is home? <gasps> I, mean, I know that was a that was a shock, right, for many. Let me go backwards one more step. Uh, once again, just for those listening, because we want to really provide help and tools for uh, for those who are out there that are going through similar experiences. But Braden, you know, you talked about this dark cloud, you know, that was over you and, and panic, but let's be more specific just for a minute. And, and you said not sleeping, right? But what were some of the symptoms that you were experiencing as a missionary? What were, as you look back, what were some of the the very specific symptoms you remember? It was a lot of that, like wasn't sleeping, wasn't eating. Right. Um, uh, what else was? You describe those panic attacks. Oh, they were. What was that so about? So, I've I've learned that each person kind of experiences panic attacks differently, right, in their own way. And for me, it wasn't so much a physical, yeah, reaction. It was very much a mental. Mm-hmm. Uh, my brain would start spiraling, right, and um, just going to worse and worse and worse case scenarios, right. And it would it would feel like my brain became a runaway train, yeah, and I could not stop it, mm. and that freaked me out because. Uh, mental fortitude was something that I'd always kind of prided myself on. Right. Um, just kind of growing up, being an athlete, doing all that stuff. You you pride yourself on that sort of stuff. Right. And the fact that I had lost control over my brain and that it had just kind of run wild, it would freak me out. I remember uh, the top of my head would get really hot mm. and really warm. You felt that sensation, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And then uh, yeah, breathing was kind of... It wasn't like a, a tightness or like a, um, I'd have trouble breathing. It was like I'd forget to breathe almost because I was so much in my head. Right. That I would just kind of be like, oh, but breathe, you know, like, ooh, okay. It's a major panic symptom for sure. Yeah. Yeah. So that, and then it was just, it w- I'd get super antsy, mm-hmm. just can't, couldn't hold still. Yeah. Uh, just nervous, worried. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, exactly. Anyway, and we'll talk some more of those symptoms in a minute, but okay, good. So now, yeah, and I didn't mean to interrupt, but take us now to that flight home and, and coming home and what that was about for you. Yeah, that was, that was a doozy. Yeah. Um, I remember <laughs> the funny thing, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, we, one thing was there was this little neighborhood outdoor library that it was like... In Alaska, where it was like, okay, you can take whatever book you want if you want to read it. Um, free, it was like a free books kind of thing. Yeah. And I remember I had I had grabbed a book I was interested in, and I had started to read it, and I was like, okay, you know, this is a way I can cope. I can read this book every night, and that can. But then my uh, my trainer had been like, uh, Elder, that's not that's not allowed. We can't be doing that. And I was like, oh, <laughs> so. Right. I, I remember that flight home, that book was still in my in my missionary bag. And so I remember to distract myself from my massive failure in my in my case, in my head, I read the entire book. Like, oh, wow. I finished it, um, that whole plane ride home, just because I was like, at that point, I was like, you know, forget it. I don't care. Like, mm-hmm. I'm going to read this book. And right. it was like, I can't just sit here with my thoughts. Right. And I remember I got home. And I was waiting for my luggage. I remember I got off the plane and 
this wasn't my parents' fault. They got sent to the wrong terminal. Right. So I get off the plane and I go to pick up my luggage and I'm expecting to see my parents there. And I, I walk out and there's nobody there. And I'm like, eh, figures, you know, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, and so I'm just standing there waiting for my luggage. And then um, I hear my name and I turn and my mom and my dad come running, running up and my mom who is a very, she's not an emotional person. She does not cry. She's yeah. just very stoic and, but she just instantly just burst into tears. Yeah. And I asked her about that later. I was like, mom, what kind of, and she's like, Brayden, you were a shell of yourself. She like, just saw you and just, wow. Oh yeah. Who is, who is this kid? Yeah. Exactly. She was like, you left this confident, happy young man. And yeah. you came back, you couldn't even make eye contact. Your shoulders were slumped. Yeah. Your suit was eating you. Like I had lost about 60 pounds. Oh my gosh. Um, and yeah, she was like, you were just a shell of yourself. And I remember the whole drive home, I was crying in the backseat. Um, my mom was in the backseat with me, just kind of holding me. And I just remember crying like, and just saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I failed. I failed. Yeah. Um, wow. I'm sorry. Just kind of over and over again. Yeah. And that was, that was rough. Yeah. That was rough. rough. Yeah. And you know, to to your credit and to your parents' credit, you got into some treatment, you got some help, and and it wasn't like it it was immediate. It wasn't like and six weeks later I was <laughs> bouncing on the trampoline and yeah. and eating chips and salsa. I mean it took a it took a little while, but uh, you got back to a, a really good place, you know, which we're all grateful for. Mm-hmm. You know. So yeah. well Braden, thank you for sharing that. I think I know that 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 that's something that will make a difference to a lot of people. Well, Braden, for a minute here, let's just talk about some prevalence. You know, before COVID, it was pretty safe to say that about 30 to 35% of the population would be affected by anxiety at some point in their lifetime. That women, anxiety disorders in women are, are higher, twice as high as for men. And I think we, we see that, right? Um, Yet, and then here's another one. Anxiety is highly treatable. It's one of the most treatable uh, issues that you could have, yet very few people get treated for it. You know, in fact, I, I'm looking at one statistic, 37% receive treatment. And then here's another thought is we often lump anxiety together, not realizing that we can really break it up into, into three pieces. And so in 2019 with adults... There was a study that showed that about 63% of adults in our country really don't suffer from any anxiety symptoms at all. But 25% would would suffer or experience what we would call low anxiety, 25.5%. Medium anxiety, 7.1%. And high anxiety, 4.1%. So there's a tendency when we talk about anxiety to assume with everyone that it's like 90% or something like that. But when in reality, only 4% experience really high anxiety. Now, if we add all those up together, low, medium, and high, we come up with about 37% of adults will suffer from from some kind of anxiety, but only 4% severe. Now, I would say COVID's probably changed that. And uh, we'll talk more about that in just a second. Among teenagers... Uh, for girls, for, for young women, about 38% will encounter some type of anxiety. And for for males, about 26%. So once again, much more prevalent in girls than boys, so to speak. And, and once again, I've said this before on our podcast, and I'll say it again. 
anxiety is not a mental illness. You've probably heard that, Ray. In fact, uh, when I say that, because one of the reasons we fight an anxiety diagnosis is because I don't want to be mentally ill, mm-hmm. not realizing that it really is, it's, you know, it's a mood disorder and, and, it's, and it's very treatable. Now, let's talk about the climb in anxiety for a minute. A few years ago, there was a study done at UCLA where they showed that in 1985, and I think this was among freshmen, uh, they asked freshmen if they felt overwhelmed by all that they had to do as freshmen in college. And in 1985, 18% said they did. By 2000, 28% said they did, that they felt overwhelmed. And by 2016, 41% felt overwhelmed. And now in 2023, not that we have data for it, but maybe it's closer to 50% now, right? Is that your experience, Braden, as you uh, think of your peers at BYU and and some of the stress they feel that it's kind of prevalent? Right? Oh, it's it's massively prevalent. Yeah, right. Very true. Now, Braden, let's talk about the COVID effect just for a minute because all these numbers that we're sharing could completely be off when we throw COVID into the mix now because I believe that uh, what COVID did is it just took those anxiety numbers and they just spiked. I mean, they just really peaked. What would you say, you know, Braden? Just just your own opinion here for a minute. But what what happened among college students with COVID in terms of that spike? What was going on? What did you notice? Uh, just the lack of lack of social right. Um, the aspects. isolation isolation really hurt a lot of people. Uh, the fear. Uh, a lot of people were scared yeah. of COVID. A lot of people were scared of catching COVID. Uh, and yeah, it's just, it, it feels like college is already kind of an uncertain time because you don't really know what the future holds. Right. But then you throw in a global pandemic <laughs> and uh, just catalyzes just everything. exacerbates it, right? I mean, oh, yeah. it's incredible. Yeah, I would, I would say the same thing. Um, in fact, among adolescents, what researchers found, we call it the COVID effect, but there was a 93.6 increase in anxiety during COVID among 13 to 18 year olds. So that was 93.6. There is an 83.9%, let's just say 84% increase in depression uh, among teens between the ages of, of 13 to 18 during that time. And so we're hoping that those numbers have have balanced out and and leveled, so to speak. But I know that there's a lot of people that still have those those lingering effects. Let's talk about symptoms for a minute of anxiety. You know, here's everything from you could you know, and maybe Braden, some of these will resonate with you. But uh, heart palpitations, muscle ache, shortness of breath, a churning stomach, a lot of gastrointestinal issues, right? Feeling fatigued. Uh, weak, tired, exhausted, headaches, sl- trouble sleeping, which you mentioned, right? Uh, that breathing rapidly or that shortness of breath or that sensation that I don't think I'm breathing. And we always have to tell people, no, you are. It just may <laughs> feel like you're not, but you are because guess what? You're standing up <laughs> and you're walking. So you're, you're definitely breathing. Yeah. So those are, those are kind of the physical aspects of yeah. anxiety. Now, the psychological ones, you have difficulty sleeping, uh, you're disproportionately aware or disproportionate worry. So you're worried about things you probably shouldn't be. Right. Uh, irritability, feeling tight, tense, or on edge. I know I've definitely felt that before. Right. Uh, feeling of impending doom. That's a fun one um, that <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I've, I've definitely experienced. 
uh, cannot focus or concentrate, trying to avoid things that trigger anxiety. Uh, you're hyper-focused on worry and you, you cannot control worry. So a lot of stuff like based around worry. You know, Raiden, funny for me, but <clears throat> one of my most significant symptoms when I was having, you know, major anxiety in my life about 10 or 15 years ago is I had this fuzzy head. Like my head just, the only way I could describe it was it felt like my head was full of cotton or mud or, I know that sounds so weird to say, but it just, and it wasn't normal, you know, and I, I guess people call it, you know, having like a, you know, brain fog now or something like that. But I remember going to several doctors and having them say, no, you're totally fine. I'm like, well, I don't, f that's weird because I don't feel fine, you know? And, <laughs> and so I, I learned later that that was a major anxiety symptom. You know, what, what about you? What was your major anxiety symptom? Would you say? I think all of mine, my main anxiety symptoms circle around worry. Yeah. Like it's just the just hyper-focusing on it, constant sense of worry. Yeah, that's uh, that's probably the most prevalent Yeah. Prevalent symptom that I've seen. Yeah. You know, one of my, you know, it's kind of fun to talk about people who have anxiety. You're like, really? They have anxiety? Because I remember a few years ago, I read a book by one of my colleagues, Mary Jane Woodger, who's an awesome uh, both teacher and researcher and she and she wrote on George Albert Smith one of our prophets you know in our church history uh, in the mid 1950s early like mid 40s 19 early 50s but you know George Albert Smith uh, she documented suffered from major anxiety and back in those days they didn't know you know what to do with it and they just thought well and this sounds good to, to both of us right now, but they would say, okay, you need to go to California to the beach to get some beach, <laughs> get some good, good air in your lungs from the ocean, or you need to go to St. George, you know, which uh, I'm like, that's funny. We still do that today, exactly, yeah. <laughs> you know, but, but he really struggled with it. But you think, wow, look what George Albert Smith accomplished as a, as a prophet. Who, who else, Braden, are you aware of that may have suffered from some kinds of anxiety in their lives? Uh, let's see. We got uh, Ben Affleck, David Beckham. <laughs> Everybody knows David Beckham. Harrison yeah. Ford, Steve Young. That's a very prominent one. Yeah, for our for our, um, for us. Yeah. Yeah. Abraham Lincoln, Vincent Van Gogh, uh, Selena Gomez. Yeah. Pop culture, and then uh, I know Winston Churchill also. Right. It was another. He was another one that that suffered from this too. And, and, and once again, it's not that they that they suffered. I think the the cool part is that despite their anxiety they they these are people who were so accomplished right who to accomplish so many things you know and so our point today in this podcast i think is that we don't have to view anxiety if you if you struggle with anxiety no one needs to view it as a doom and gloom diagnosis you know that life is over life will never be the same again i'm always going to be a compromised second class citizen that braden to quote you you know, anxiety can actually be our superpower. So tell us about that. I'm really interested. This is great. Yeah. I mean, and the funny thing is, is I, I said suffered earlier because I've been conditioned to, yeah. to see anxiety as something that's bad. Yeah. And see it as, oh, you, uh, you've been given an anxiety diagnosis. Right. Whereas you look at all these successful people and there's, there's thousands of others that are highly successful with anxiety. And so my thought process was, well, if it's such a bad thing, why is there so many people <laughs> that have been so successful with yeah. this? 
And so then I was thinking, I was like, you know, maybe it's not a bad thing. Maybe it's a good thing. Maybe it's a, it's a superpower. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, one of the, one of the things that I just, I love is just changing that mindset, um, about anxiety and making it seem like, oh, this isn't a bad thing. This is, this can be a great this thing. This could be a you. great thing. It's a, it's a major reframe, right? To think of, okay, how can anxiety actually benefit me? And I don't think a lot of people are thinking of it that way, right? Yeah, no, not at all. So now let's talk specifically about these 10, maybe 10 benefits to anxiety. And by the way, we're not saying that there's not 25 or 30 benefits or 100, but 10 is a good number to start with. So, Braden, the first thing that you wrote is increased motivation. You know, that those who are anxious often are more motivated. Share something about that with us. Yeah, people with anxiety usually, they're very aware of yeah. the things they need to get done and right. the timeline they need to get them done in. And so... Because they're thinking of those things all day, right? <laughs> oh, exactly. Yeah. So it's, they have this increased motivation to get those things done because they're constantly, they're thinking about them. They're right. on their mind. They're on their mind. Exactly. Like I know that that for my for me, I, I wake up every day and I'm like, okay, this is what I have to get done. Right. And I go and I do it. And I think people with anxiety have, you know, they often have goals, you know, and, and plans and and they're pursuing those plans. I've seen that profile for sure in my practice. Number two, you wrote about increased levels of empathy or sympathy. What did you mean by that? Yeah, anxiety, it, it's a great humbler. Yeah. It, it shows you <laughs> your own limitations and your own weaknesses. Right. And I believe when you are shown your own limitations and weaknesses, you can empathize with others when you see them sharing their weaknesses right. and shortcomings. That was 100% true for me right. uh, when I came home. And for my mission, I I could talk to people that I never could have talked to before. Right. And feel for people in a way that I'd never been able to feel before. Mm, that's so cool. In fact, Braden, part of the profile of someone who's anxious is often sensitivity. You know, you're, you're usually a sensitive person and is... A lot of us don't like to hear that we're sensitive, but it's okay, you know, because part of that is a spiritual element of kind of being in tune to the needs of others. I know that 10 of us could drive by a car wreck today and go, wow, that must, oh boy, I hope everyone's okay, and probably never think about it again. But the sensitive person, the one who's sensitive to the plight of others, maybe for the rest of the day will be thinking, I wonder if that family's okay. I wonder if, I hope no one died. I wonder if they're home now, you know, I wonder, you know, and, and you kind of think that way about those type of things. And so I do think that uh, it can be very, uh, there can be a lot of empathy uh, and, and concern for others when you have anxiety. And by the way, none of these are to imply that if you don't have anxiety, you can't do this stuff. It's just, mm -hmm. hey, if you have, if you're anxious, these are some of the things that you probably are going to have uh, a tendency to, and they could be a blessing in your life. Number three, Braden, you wrote that you have this innate danger sensor, these warning signs you pay attention to. Tell us about that. Oh, yeah. it's uh, Sometimes I feel like, uh, you know how Iron Man, when he puts a suit on, he has Jarvis, <laughs> who's like scanning every crowd, scanning all the faces. Right. Uh, I kind of feel like that when I go to, like when I'm at big events or like where there's a lot of people because I feel like... I'm like, okay, I need to make sure, like, scan everybody's face, make sure, you know, everybody's chill, we're all fine. 
So it, and it's every time I walk into a room, it's like, okay, let's scan the room. You know, it's, it's kind of funny because to me it's become second nature. Right. But I will, I'll say something about it to somebody who, who doesn't have anxiety. And they're like, dude, what's wrong with you? Like we're, we're at Taco Bell, you know, like <laughs> you don't need to be scanning for danger in Taco Bell. Right. Um, or in church. You would think exactly, that sometimes, yeah. right? Uh, right, and I think that's so great. I know that I'm I'm like that and have always been that way. I just kind of call it having your antenna up and just being aware of what's around you. And, I, and I'm literally uh, know people who just don't. In fact, a, kind of a funny story, but not, okay, that's not the right word, but but funny on what how our family reacted to it. But there was a, an event in New York City a few years ago. We were there for the day for one of our daughter's wedding receptions. And uh Anyway, and then there had been a bombing, uh, you know, kind of a, some kind of car bombing or something that day. And it just had been announced on the news. And I gathered our family together as we're walking through. We were just on a tour of the city that day. And so, okay, guys, hey, this has happened. And we just need to be aware and alert of our surroundings. And literally right after I make this announcement, one of our daughters is on her cell phone five minutes later texting someone and walks right across the street in front of like three cars that were coming. And I'm like, oh my gosh, what did I just tell you? You know, you got to you got to pay attention anyways. And so some may think that that's, you know, that that's overdoing it to, to have your antenna up. But thank goodness for those who are aware, you know, and I can tell several personal stories. I won't but several personal stories of how that awareness actually protected one of our children. So, all right, number four, and I like this one. Uh, <laughs> those who are anxious tend to live longer. Tell us about that one. Yeah, you'd think, you'd think it's the other way around. You know, people are like, oh, you're stressed all the time. You're going to die sooner. But no, people with anxiety, they, they're very aware of their body and how they feel. And so it's like, oh, this is hurting or that's hurting or this doesn't feel right. I need to go to a doctor and right. see if I'm okay. <laughs> and I need to do the things I need to do to take care of my body. Yeah. Because, uh, you know, we love to worry. <laughs> and so we we want to make sure we're healthy. And so that's another instance where, yeah, we, we live longer because we try to take care of our bodies. Yeah, you're sensitive to the aches and the pains. And once again, I guess on an extreme end of that, it could become you know, like a hypochondriac, you know, and mm -hmm. we want to not go that direction. But certainly I know for myself, I could tell my wife, man, so tired of my knee hurting all the time. And she'll say, well, why don't you just go to the doctor and figure out what it is, right? And then, and then you're like, okay. And then once you know, you're like, okay, well, like in my case, the doctor said you have no cartilage in that left knee. So you're just going to, it's going to hurt for a long time. And I'm like, okay, well, at least that's all it is. All right. And I can deal with that. So what about number five, Braden? Increased productivity. Yeah, we, uh, I, sometimes I'll look at people with anxiety like worker bees. Yeah. Um, we, we kind of got to be going. <laughs> we, we're always going. It's, it's hard for people to, with anxiety to sit still. Yeah. Uh, just cause we, we're, like I was saying with the motivation, we're very aware of the things we need to get done. And yeah. We, we like to be moving. We mm -hmm. like to be doing things. And I can't tell you how many times I've had to like wake up at a different time for an event or to get some stuff done. And I'd wake up like a minute before my alarm clock went off because right. my brain would just be like, oh, okay, time, you know, like we know what we have to get done. Right. Let's get up and get it done. Right. So it's just, it, I look at it like... Like I said, like worker bees, just bzz, 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 constantly going. And in my case, Braden, I can relate to that because I know that when I'm busy and have a lot to do, 
I tend to worry a lot less because I'm more focused on, okay, like you just said, this has to be done. And I noticed that pattern when I was in graduate school and my classes would end and it, and it would be another month or two until they started again. And I noticed in that little gap or window of time, I would become a little bit more anxious and, I, and I'd start worrying about things I usually didn't worry about. And I realized, okay, I need that semester to start up because I'll, I'll be so busy. I can't, I can't worry about things like that anymore. But I th- and once again, I know some of you who listening would say, well, isn't that a horrible trait? Because maybe you're not, you're not laying back. You're not laying low. You're not stopping to smell the roses. You're not uh, taking the time to feel the spirit or, or things like that. But for those who are anxious, it's actually a great coping skill, you know, and, and you learn, you learn in that busyness to connect with others and to feel the spirit. And it reminds me one time of Elder Holland, who, when he was the president of BYU, he was walking and he was walking pretty fast across campus to a meeting and a student approached him and wanted to talk to him. And Elder Holland said, Hey, you know what? I am on my way to this meeting. And if you would like to talk to me while we're walking, I am happy to to talk to you. And the student said, at first I was a bit upset about that. Why wouldn't he just stop and and talk to me? But then he realized as he got older, as this young man got older telling the story, he said, wow, I, I now realize how busy university president must have been. And here's Elder Holland saying, I want to connect with you, but let's do it while I'm going 100 miles an hour. And we can do that, right? It, it doesn't have to be all or nothing. So what about number six, Braden, an increased understanding of self? What is that? Yeah, so that kind of stems from with anxiety, you have triggers and you have things that you know make your anxiety worse. Yeah. And with that kind of introspection and looking at yourself, you understand yourself a lot better because you have to know how you react in certain situations. Right. Uh, what what can kind of make you feel uncomfortable. And for me, that was a big part of, of my anxiety was learning a lot more about myself. The more I learned about myself, the better I understood my anxiety. Right. And they just go hand in hand. The more you learn about yourself, the more you learn about your anxiety. Amen. I love that. Number seven, bring out the best version of yourself. You wrote core values. Tell me about that. Yeah. So it's kind of, this one's kind of related a little bit to number six, but you learn what you care about. Yeah. And what the things that, that make you, you like there was things that when when I was first uh, learning to to deal with my superpower, you know, <laughs> right? Uh, I kind of had to figure out okay, who, what are my beliefs? What are my core values? What mm-hmm. what are things that I will not change? Kind of who on? are my who who am I? Right? What's my identity? Exactly, and those core values really helped me channel my anxiety and help me to to channel it in a productive ways and into because one like for example one thing uh, my family means everything to me right they you have a great family yeah they mm. they're, they're pretty great yes and that's something that uh, I that's a core value that I really realized with my anxiety and so now one way I kind of channel that is I just spend as much time as my family that I can. I reach out to them. And it's kind of like it's my anxiety has attached to that core value in a way that it's helped me stay on top of it. Right. And help me um, manage it, manage it. Yeah. And, Mm -hmm. uh, and improve on it. Because it's like, okay, hey, you probably you haven't talked to mom or dad in the past 
couple days. Maybe you should reach out. Maybe you should call, see sure. how they're doing. So that's kind of how I've seen it. Yeah, right. And that's a great example. Number eight, increased resilience. Yeah, people don't associate this with, <laughs> with people with anxiety because right. they're like, oh, you, you know, you see something out of the ordinary and you freak out. Right. But it's actually the opposite because when you get anxiety, you learn how to manage your stress levels. You learn how to manage so many facets of your life. Maybe even boundaries, right? To some extent of learning when to say, no, I probably can't do that, right? Or Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, okay, this is this is my limit. Right. And this is where I this is where I say no. Mm-hmm. And it, to me, that's inc- that's showing increased resilience because you understand where you can go to and where you can't go to. And yeah, that's right. And you don't you recognize now that if I if I took on that one more thing, it would be bad for everybody. It would be a lose lose <laughs> for everyone involved. And and so I do I, I know my limits, so to speak. I like that. And then number nine, improve leadership skills. I'm really interested in what you meant by that one on with anxiety. Yeah, it's kind of an interesting amalgamation of right. the above because to be a leader, you need to understand the people who you're leading. Yeah. And with that increased level of empathy that anxiety provides, you have that ability. Mm. You need you and that increase that danger sense, that awareness that helps you with your leadership because it helps you understand, okay, this this is a place I'm taking my team to a place that's not good or this is not a good direction we're going in. And then I feel like a, a successful leader is a, per, is a leader who understands his own weaknesses and understands his own strengths. Yeah. And with that increased understanding of self, you can, if you're in charge of a group, you can be like, okay, look, this is where I'm weak and I'm going to need to delegate or rely on y'all to help me with this. Mm-hmm. And so these are all facets of leadership that can be plugged in for some of these other benefits to make to make a leader who is truly a leader because we both know leaders don't lead from the front true leaders lead from the back right and from with within the group i've noticed Braden, for myself that back to that idea of sensitivity but it's 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 it helps us to be in tune and sensitive to other people as we're as we're attempting to lead you know so i think that's great Last one, number 10, more considerate, kind, and aware of others. What do you want to say about that one? We, we look and notice pain and suffering and hardship in others in a much more heightened capacity. Yeah. And it, it also comes from kind of that above benefit of increased levels of sympathy and empathy we we can understand more fully how a certain situation will affect somebody. Sure. And we can mitigate that by trying to be more considerate. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of people with anxiety are very aware of trying to be considerate of others. Sure. And trying to be like, oh, okay, I know this will bother me, so I'm not going to try to... I'm not going to impose that on someone else, Exactly, right? exactly. Oh, Braden, I think that's a great that's a great example. Braden, I think that's such a great list. And once again, I, I know it's not comprehensive. There's there could be a hundred other traits like that, but that's a really great start. And I you're gonna write a book on this and I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna buy it. So well, if you have anxiety, if a member of your family has anxiety, hopefully you can view this or reframe uh, 
that through an entirely different lens now, right? Anxiety is not a mental illness. It's a, it's a mood disorder. And to view it as a strength versus a burden can, can be such a great blessing for, for anyone. So find ways to harness your anxiety, make it into something that benefits you, that motivates you, that inspires you. It's kind of like embracing it. Okay, if this is what I have, I'm embracing it and I'm going to make the best of it and I'm going to use it to my advantage, which I think is what, uh, what someone who is highly motivated and wants to be successful can do. Brain, do you have any parting words or closing advice for anyone listening today that may have some anxiety themselves or a family member with anxiety? Don't go at it alone. Yeah. Because it's like any like anything, anxiety to, to the extreme can be bad. Right. And I, I we've seen that. And I've seen that in myself. Right. Uh, so I you got you to gotta learn to control your superpower. Right. You know, you kind of got to learn... <laughs> And you learn by, like, go go see a therapist or go talk to somebody that knows you extremely well. And do some introspective, think about, like, okay, who am I? What what are some things that, that causes anxiety in me? What are um, some things that, that trigger, can make my anxiety bad? But whenever, whenever I talk to people anxiety, I'm like, you, you never have to do it alone. You're, you're never alone. Right. You have people who love you, and you have a father in heaven who loves you, and he wants what's best for you. And so I always tell people, you don't have to do this alone. Go get the help that you need so that you can change what you see to be a um, disorder into a superpower, into something that will not be a detriment to your life, but a massive benefit to it. Braden, what you've said is so profound, and I love it. And and one of the things I I feel strongly about is that all of us need to become experts on our problem. Whatever our problem is, we should become an expert on it. As a parent, whatever our child's problem is, we should become an expert on it. And so if I... Uh, you know, if I have anxiety, I need to become an expert on it. And I, and I love watching what you've done and how you've progressed and grown and become who you are, you know, through this journey. Way to go. I mean, that's, that's good stuff. And, you know, secondly, we, we then find ways to help other people. And it's amazing of how many people will come into our lives once we kind of get on top of the problem that we're facing other people will come into our lives that we can help and benefit from the things that we've learned and been through. But it also reminds me, you know, in a doctrinal way of the scripture in Ether chapter 12, verse 27, that if, that if men come unto me, I will show unto them their weakness. I give unto men weakness that they may be humble. And my grace is sufficient for all men that humble themselves before me. For if they humble themselves before me and have faith in me, I will make weak things become strong unto them. And Brayden, I love that you brought the Lord into it because that's exactly what he does. Whatever our weaknesses are, he will magnify us, right? And he will He will help us to transform those weaknesses into a strength. And that is exactly what I think you're talking about today. Today, you know, as you talk about, okay, here can be the benefits of anxiety. So thank you so much to be, for being with us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. You bet. LDS, 
Let's do something. You know, we would invite our listeners, if anyone out there has anxiety, we would invite our listeners to share this podcast with someone that could really benefit from it. But for those who struggle with it, we would invite you to learn to look at and view the anxiety that you struggle with through a new lens, uh, to see it as an advantage, to see it as a weakness that can become a strength. And if you do that, not only will that make a huge difference in your own life, but in the lives of those around you. Thank you so much for being with us today. We hope you have a great rest of the week. We look forward to seeing you next time.